Yes, yes. Omega Watts in the house. Now let me set the table. Now, now, now let me set the table. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you can make it. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you can make it. Questions What's up, table fam? If I haven't a chance to meet you, my name is Isaac, and I'm the young adult pastor here at First Orlando. Man, just really glad to be hanging out with you guys uh, today. Um, here's a photo right here. Do you guys know, there's a whiteboard, I'll get to that in a second. Okay, don't worry about that for a second, just one second. Uh, here's a photo. Do you guys know what's happening in Kentucky right now? Okay, so this is a photo at Asbury University, and right now, as we speak, there is an actual, literal revival going on at Asbury University. Okay, you may be asking, what is revival, right? Maybe we sing it, got our revival, we, we, we play, we, we pray for it. Um, so what's happening, and I'll just read here, here's an article here. Um, so they started a chapel last Wednesday, uh, Wednesday morning, they had normal chapel, it's a Christian school, um, they had normal chapel where he said this, a chapel service at Asbury isn't unusual. What was unusual though, was the length of this particular service. It began at 10 a.m. on Wednesday morning. Okay, this was seven days ago. Uh, it began at 10 a.m. And then here's the article continues. It just never stopped. People just never left, never went to class, never went to lunch. And then later people started coming back to, look, I went to a private Christian school. When chapel ends, you don't go back to chapel. Like you just are grateful that it's over and then you can just like come back or whatever you need to for the credit. But people, people just stayed and people are coming back. And they said, uh, they said this, it was supposed to end at 11 a.m. So it started at 10 a.m., supposed to end at 11 a.m. People lingered. The band kept playing, and since then, people have come in and now continuously keeping the service going. The admins, uh, the administrators have brought in food and water for people, and it's and now it's spread beyond Asbury's campus. I was talking to one of my uh, good friends on staff here. He's like, yeah, I'm going. I'm going to this revival that's happening there in Kentucky. I'm like, oh my gosh, because when, and just from what I've read online, people are like, hey, is that genuine? Like, or is this just manufactured emotion of people just trying to project something to make it seem like a move of God is happening? And for everything I've read, even on uh, even Christian Twitter, if you're on Christian Twitter, I love Christian Twitter. I love all of Twitter, but Christian Twitter because people get real spicy. It's funny. Um, but uh, there people are like, are incredibly skeptical. And then they go and then they're like, this is fairly genuine of what's happening. And there, what's happening, people are just like coming down to the freezer. There's a photo. I've seen other photos as well. We don't have one. I've seen other photos too, where people are just coming down at the front. They're just like confessing sin. They're being prayed for. People are just coming up to speaking um, the word of God. And it's absolutely incredible uh, what's happening there. This has um, semi-related, but not really at all what I planned on talking about tonight. But here's what I want to do. Um, so they interviewed um, one of the, um, a student there, and she says this. She's like, hey, look, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit because I couldn't find the, it was on Twitter and I couldn't find the video uh, to be able to quote it exactly. So I'm paraphrasing. But basically she says, hey, we know that the, eventually this long worshiper that's happening for a week and we, whoever knows how long it's going to last, it, it, it's going to end. Like this worship service will end one day. We're not going to be here for the rest of our lives. But this revival, it's going to be ongoing within us because we know that God's spirit, again, I'm paraphrasing. So God's spirit is alive in us and it will be commissioned in us to send us out wherever we go. So this revival that's happening here in this chapel, it's going to spread everywhere that we go. So we're, we're grateful that we can have the time together now, but it, to me, it's just a, a beautiful, now this is Isaac's words, no longer the paraphrasing words. To me, it's such a cool picture of like this gathering in the presence of God and then scattering everywhere that we go. And they can just feel and remember the, the, just this, this gathering um, to then go and feel this 
deep convi- Holy Spirit conviction uh, deep within their soul. So I'm talking about that because it's spreading to other universities. And now, is it going to come to Orlando? I don't know, right? But here's what I, here's my prayer for you, is that regardless of this, this like week-long worship service happens here in Orlando or not, I don't know. It's, it honestly seems unlikely. We'll see. God can do anything. I don't know. But here's my prayer, is that the conviction of the Holy Spirit that they feel, we will feel that. And that we can just feel inspired of what God is doing in other outside of Orlando, what God is doing in other parts of the country with people that are your age. These are college students, right? So some of you guys, I know some of us here are young professionals, so we're out of college age. It's the young adults, y'all, young adults that are here that just are hungering and thirsting for Jesus. And it's incredible. And I love that. I was so excited to hear of it happening. So here's what I want to do. I'm just going to, we'll have time at the end. We can all just pray for revival just within our souls. Pray for revival in our city. Thank God for the revival that's happening in Kentucky. But I just want to pray for that now because it's happening right now. And I want to pray for it. Um, and you can, if you're on your phones, you can check Twitter. It's going on right now. Go for it. I won't be mad. Okay. Uh, Father, man, God, I'm just so grateful for you. God, I'm grateful for your son, Jesus. God, I'm so grateful for your spirit, God, and just the move of your spirit. God, is for our friends, our Christian friends in Kentucky, um, that Asbury University that are just getting to experience revival, God. How cool is that? And also, God, we're praying that you just spark revival in our souls, God. That whatever we're feeling today, we just may feel awakened, God, to what you want to do in us. We can't manufacture something outside of us. We can't uh, perform, God, outside of us. We can't do anything, God, unless you were... Um, the still small voice within us, God, your Holy Spirit, God, that is convicting us of ways that are dishonoring to you. And with so much grace and so much love, God. So tonight, right now, just to kick off or kick off the message of the table, God, I just wanted to stop just to thank you, thank you, thank you for what you're doing in Kentucky at Asbury. And knowing what a cool opportunity that every week we can gather here on Tuesday night just to get a glimpse of you to encourage our souls, to nourish our souls, to learn from your word. God, that we may feel convicted for how we may be living. And in that conviction, God, there's so much grace. There's no condemnation. There's grace. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, what a way to start. Hey, here's the question that I want to kick off. Uh, I want to kick off today. Here's the question. It's on your screen here. How do you relate to God? How do you relate to to God. Now, maybe you're asking, you feel like, I've never thought of that, how I relate to God. But maybe, maybe it's phrased another way is, uh, what do you think about when you think about God? What do you think about when you think about God? And maybe I'll ask it this way. What does God think about when he thinks about you? What do you think about when you think about God? What does God think about when he thinks about you? The broader question, how do you relate to God? So for me, so some of you know this, um, I grew up as a pastor's kid. So my, like my, uh, my grandfather, um, really both my grandfathers on both sides uh, were both, uh, my, my mom's dad was like a traveling evangelist type preacher guy, like a, a Spanish pilgrim. Uh, my dad's dad was a pastor, like at a small um, a Spanish speaking service. So I come from two lines of ministers. So I grew up as a pastor's kid. And you know that if you grew up as a pastor's kid or any other PKs in the room, Pastor's kids? Okay, all right here. Yup, 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 yup. Them kids, yup, yup. Anybody, anybody on this side, Pastor's kid? A few over here, yup. So here, here's what you know to be true uh, whenever you're a pastor's kid or you're a missionary kid. Um, either you also end up like a really, really good kid, or for a lot of our friends, like they end up in jail, right? So 
So, but like, there really is kind of like no, uh, there's no like middle ground. Like you kind of know your pathways. You have like, it's almost like you have too much information. So you have to like wrestle with that, like as a pastor's kid. So I grew up like in this highly conservative, but also like charismatic, um, Pentecostal Latin American household. Right. And here's how, what I thought, like, how did I relate to God? Here's what I thought. My relationship with God was this. Don't mess up Isaac or don't mess up. That's what I thought. That's how I lived, right? So my entire life, I just wanted to live a life pleasing to God. And here's a word. I wanted to live my life righteously. I wanted to live a quote unquote righteous life, right? And this righteous life, I just wanted approval from God, but also I really wanted approval from others in this quote unquote righteous life that I was trying to live. And so it started in elementary school, right? You got some time? It started in elementary school. See, in elementary school, like, I was, like, the annoyingly good teacher's pet. Like, I, like, got, um, like, and even, like, in, at church, I got, like, memory verse, like, gold stickers. I'm, like, I was this teacher's pet. Okay, so then it continues on to middle school. Um, in middle school, um, I, the, one day the sub was out. So, like, we were supposed to have a substitute teacher, and the sub was out. So what did I do? Again, I'm the good kid. So I get the, this is a true story. I get the lessons plans from the teacher's desk that were supposed to go to the sub, and I just taught the class that day. And then the front office found out the next day and they said, never do that again. I'm like, okay, but, um, but I called the class. Then I get to high school. I'm class president all four years. Um, I'm, I'm in the worship band at church. Like I'm like the, the poster child for like how good of a kid that you can be. I go off to college, um, to Baylor University. After that, I moved to Dallas, Texas. I've been in Dallas for five years. I moved here. I meet some of you uh, when I moved here back in 2018. Um, the next year in 2019, I get ordained uh, to be a pastor. So, and for, for, for a lot of my life, like I'm doing all of these things. And yet I still wasn't convinced that I was righteous enough for God. I'm, I'm trying to earn. I'm doing all these things. I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to do. And I don't feel like I'm righteous enough. I'm, a, I'm asking myself, Isaac, am I doing enough? Do I have enough of the Bible knowledge? Um, am I praying enough? Am I evangelizing enough? Um, I'm, you know, then I become a pastor and then I'm asking like a whole different set of questions around like, okay, is my leadership enough? Am I somebody that enough people like want to follow? So all of these things, I'm just trying to be righteous and trying to do um, all these things. And um, I realized that I'm still living my life. For a lot of my life, I'm living my life not to mess up. And, and the reality is I still mess up. I'm trying so hard to live my life, to do the right thing, to live a life that's quote unquote righteous for God. And I still mess up. But whenever I mess up, here's what I feel. Because I'm trying so hard not to, and I still do, is I feel shame. I've set a standard for myself, and I can't achieve that standard that I've set for myself. I feel shame. Or maybe um, I, at times if I don't feel shame, I feel angry. Like, God, you owe me. Like, I've, did all, I've done all of this stuff for you. You owe me. I'm cashing in my chips now. I want you to give me the thing that I want because I've worked hard for it. I've made all the right decisions, especially when it came to my singleness. Like, okay, God, I'm doing everything that I need to do for single. All right, God, you, just, I, you owe me a wife. It's time. You owe me a wife. And it took a long time. For that to happen, but I had to wrestle with that, right? And for and I was just so angry. I felt guilt over whenever I would mess up. I would miss a standard that I set for myself. I had anxiety. Like I just God, can you just show me what to do next? Can you just show me what to do? And I had so much anxiety within that because God wasn't clear in the different seasons of my life. God was not clear on where He wanted me to go next. So here I am, just feeling incredibly anxious. How's that for righteousness and righteous living? Right? So that's a good time, right? That sounds really fun. That's the way to live. So the reason I mentioned that is because I know for all of us, we're asking this question. That's my story. 
How do you relate to God? See, for some of us, we think that God is a commander, right? God is like a military commander. And whenever we look at the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, maybe you've heard of it said as basic instructions before leaving earth, right? So here's your manual. Here's the rule book. Here's what you got to do. Just follow these rules. Here's your basic instructions before leaving earth. Like, yes, sir. Like, man, growing up, we we sang the song like, I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. I'm a church kid. Anybody else sing that song? Yep. Some hands. Yep. Yep. Like Lord's army, um, you know, the, we have our marching orders, right? And so uh, some of us, the way that we view God, view God, because the way that we were taught, if we grew up in church, um, is that God is just commander, that we just need to be dutiful soldiers for his glory. Right? Maybe for some of us, because I grew up, again, a pretty uh, like Pentecostal charismatic, and um, there's a lot of beautiful expressions of faith in that. But one of the things to guard against, and just the way that I grew up, it was a, it was a lot of... Um, um, all right, God, I'm praying and you give me. That's how this relationship works. I ask for it, you give it to me. So God almost becomes this genie where you're rubbing like the, the, the lamp of a holy oil, but rubbing the lamp um, and just asking God to be this genie just to give you things. Maybe God, um, the way that we relate to God is as a genie, right? Just to grant us all our wishes. Maybe for some of us, we're like, maybe especially if you're cool, you're like, no, God's my homeboy. We're tight. Like we're cool. Like God and I are just like sitting on the, sitting on the couch, just eating chips salsa watching the game like god and i are tight he's my bro like god and i are tight or maybe you're like no jesus is my boyfriend like i'm just gonna sit in his lap i'm just gonna sit there jesus is my boyfriend i'm dating jesus right now right all look i know i know i'm joking but um like all of us in reality all of us have a very specific way of thinking when we think through our relationship with god and maybe we've never thought about it before which is why i'm kind of highlighting it now so for us to really start thinking about it, what do you think of when you think about God? And also, what do you think God thinks of when he thinks about you? How do we relate to God? But fortunately, we're not the only people wondering how to relate to God. We're continuing in our message series, Sermon on the Mount, to where the disciples, Jesus is helping the disciples understand how do we relate to God, right? And here's what he says, right? And here's what he says. How do we relate to God? And here's the big idea the big idea for the night, right? Here's the big idea. I'm going to, I'm telling you the big idea. And then we'll look at the text to kind of see how it says this, but it's helpful just to get the big idea right up top is this kingdom living. So how do we relate to God? It's this answer. Kingdom living is a right relationship that no wrong can ever spoil. Kingdom living is a right relationship that no wrong can ever spoil. Now that may not make sense now. Let's see. Let's see if we can help make it make sense. Let's jump into the text. We're in Matthew chapter five, verses 17 through 20, where he starts here. He says this in verse 17, where he says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, right? So right now he's talking about the law and the prophets. That's basically saying the Old Testament. He's like, hey, so don't think that I've come to abolish the Old Testament. Um, I haven't, I've not come to abolish the Old Testament to fulfill them. So why would Jesus say that he's fulfilling the Old Testament? Here's why. Because in the Old Testament, it's basically a story of God and who he is, that God created a people, and then these people soon rebel away from God. But even in their rebellion, God calls these people and says, hey, I want to have a relationship with you, right? And the, he, he gives this relationship and he says, hey, but here are the ways that we're going to have this relationship. So then he, I mean, you guys uh, are familiar with the, the Ten Commandments, Moses, right? Are you familiar with that, like the story? Okay, so essentially the Ten Commandments were the first ten out of, you may not know this, 613 commandments in the Old Testament. 
That's a lot. It's not just 10. It's 613, right? So he gets all these commandments, and these commandments were not, they were never rules to follow. They were always just ways that we're going to have a relationship. Hey, I want to be your God. I want you to be my people, right? He started with Abraham. He called Abraham's family. So this is the way that we're going to have a relationship. And here's just kind of the, the covenant, this relationship that I'm establishing with you. So I want us to notice that the law was never about rules, it was always about relationship and how to have a relationship. So then Jesus says that he's coming to fill, whatever Jesus says, he's fulfilling it. Jesus is coming to fulfill that relationship. Because then if you read the Old Testament, things get really dark. And these, these Israelites never fully realized their relationship with God, but God knew that. So that's why he sent his son Jesus to fulfill this relationship that he always wanted to have with his people. We go to verse 18 where he says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished, right? Same idea. He's like, hey, we're keeping the Old Testament. We're keeping the law until all is accomplished. Verse 19, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So he's basically, hey, look, in this relationship, there are commands from God because of our relationship. And we have an obedience that God wants from us to help cultivate the relationship. More on that in a second. Verse 20. For I tell you, unless your, here's this word, righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so here's, here's the whiteboard. You ready for whiteboard time? So here's the whiteboard. So here's the best way to think through this. Okay, so here is um, God, and this is what God is establishing. Can you, it should be on the screen here too, that way, because I'm going to turn my back to you because I'm right-handed. This right side just be cool. Okay, so here's God. Um, here is the, God is establishing a right relationship. And this relationship, this right relationship that God is establishing, it's with him, God, but more specifically, God as father. So God as father is establishing this right relationship, and it's God as father that gives us our identity as sons and daughters of this amazing God amazingly great and amazingly good father. So the father gives us our identity and here's what happens with our identity. It's from our identity as a son and as a daughter in this beautiful right relationship with God that we get comes obedient. It's really, really important to establish this, right? Is that from God the Father comes our identity as sons and daughters, and from our identity as sons and daughters, from there that comes our obedience. So this framework, this right relationship, this is the way of the kingdom. This is what we call uh, kingdom, kingdom living. And in kingdom living, this is a right relationship where we get to participate with God, right? Remember, we, we look, we, a few weeks ago, we talked about Jesus calling the disciples to follow him, to learn what it means, right? To think like him, to do like him, to learn the ways of the kingdom. So he's inviting his disciples to participate with him. And along with participating, it's through a relational, through a relational lens. 
So kingdom living is a right relationship with God, with God as father from our identity that gives us our identity and our identity that comes obedience, right? And with this relational lens, here's what we get. There's so much undeserved grace and love. So kingdom living is where we get to participate with God. It's incredibly relational and we, there's so much grace and love. Now, the problem with this though, and here's the big idea one more time, is that the kingdom living is a right relationship that no wrong can ever spoil. There is no wrong that is ever going to spoil this relationship with God as father, with us as sons and daughters. Um, and, and from there comes our, 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 our glad and joyful obedience following the commands of God. Okay, here's the problem though. We saw this in the text is that for many of us, right, because of our corrupt sinful nature, and especially the people, some of the people that Jesus is referring to in the text, um, is we're not kingdom living. We're living like Pharisees. And there's three ways that we live like Pharisees or Pharisee living that I think we all struggle with. Here's the first way that we struggle with Pharisee living is defiance, not obedience. Defiance, not obedience. See, the first way, change colors here, um, is that we don't actually want to obey. We're defiant, right? So from the Father, like we're cool, we get our identity, and yet here are the commands of God, and we just get really defiant about it. And part of the reason why we get defiant um, is because we, we, the way that we relate to God is not that he's a loving Father that wants to give us good things. The way that we relate to God is that he's a fun sucker and that he wants to take away all the things that make us happy. Just me? Okay. Like, so we're, this is so real, right? We think, like, oh man, I remember, especially if you've been, uh, if you, if, this is my story, man. I grew up in church. Um, so I grew up, again, dutiful, righteous. I saw all of my friends. They were having so much fun, right? Or it seemed like, right? They were going out. They, were ha- they seemed to have all this freedom that me and my conservative Pentecostal upbringing, um, I didn't have, right? Now I know that they were sinning, which is why it looked like fun. But at the time, it just looked like they had all this freedom and all this fun, right? And here I am just thinking like, ah, like God, why are, you, why, why are you such a fun sucker? So then I go and then I start experiencing things and I have some of the most heart, harmful heartache that I've experienced, right? And some of you know this too, is that whenever you um, become a Christian, especially later on in life, like you remember like the fun, like BC days, like before Christ days. But then the reason that you started following Jesus is because those days weren't actually fun. But as a Christian, where we find ourselves sometimes is that we're feeling this complex around like, God's good, yes, but man, he's out to rob me of the things that will truly make me happy. Let me just rewrite the rules. Let me put myself up top. That way I can just identify with the rules that I want to follow. And then I can just be obedient to whatever, however I want to live my life without regard to how God wants me to live. So that's one of the ways um, of Pharisee living is that there's defiance and not obedience, right? Because we don't think that God has our good in mind. But here's number two. Um, we think that it's our, through our, we, we don't come down this side of the triangle. We actually come down this side of the triangle because we think that it's in our obedience that gives us our identity. We think it's in our performance that gives us our identity. So it's not participate. We perform. We perform for God. It's not relational. We think that God, it's judicial, a true judicial lens. I didn't write that very well. I'm going to write it again for you guys. Perform. Perform. 
judicial lens, okay? Because we think, like, and this is me, like, I feel this so deeply, right? My whole life, I think that God is on his throne judging me. And in God's judging me, it's my duty to do what he wants me to do so I can just perform for him. And when I do the right things and perform for him, that's whenever he likes me. Mm, I got some, mm. right? We feel this. I feel this, right? We think that God is there just to, um, is, is there with a lightning bolt, right? A lot of us, I was talking to uh, my boy Thomas earlier, um, and we we're talking about just some of our friends around here. We're so concerned that we're in the center of God's will. And we just want to be in the center of God's will. And we think that if we orchestrate our decisions in a way, then we can be in God's will. And if we make the wrong decision, then we're no longer in God's will, then God doesn't like us anymore. So we're so fearful to have so much anxiety around our lives and making decisions because we're trying to obey to get our identity, to ultimately get what we want. So from a Pharisee thinking is that we perform, God is on his throne, and we just have to appease this God that really isn't all that good. He just um, is for himself, but not really for us. And we just need to be really dutiful, right? So it's not, it's we don't participate, we perform. It's not relational, it's judicial. And there's no love and grace. You know what you feel? There's no love and grace. Um, There is, uh, there is uh, rules, and shame. There's no love and grace. There's rules and there's shame. We set up all these rules. We think God has set up all these rules. Sometimes we make the rules. Sometimes we think God makes the rules. Regardless, we can never follow the rules. Even at our best day, if we just set the standard, set the quote-unquote rules for ourselves, we will never meet our own standard. Paul says this in Romans chapter 7, where he says, hey, look, I keep doing the things that I don't want to do, and I'm not doing the things that I want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? You feel that? That was like my yesterday. (laughs) Right? There's these rules and the shame whenever we can't perform, right? So this is me. I mean, last week, right? I, I was uh, just kind of writing and I was journaling and I was just thinking through all the different aspects of my life. And I'm thinking, hey, as a, as a father and as a husband, am I doing enough? Uh, as a speaker, am I helpful enough? As a disciple maker, am I worth following? As an organizational leader, do I have enough vision? As a student, I'm in seminary, finishing seminary, uh, can I graduate soon? Uh, with rest, I know at the table we talk about rest, that we're human beings, not human doings, we need to work from rest, all that sure. I'm like, oh, am I resting enough? I don't know, am I resting enough? Um, as a son of God, am I abiding? And I didn't realize, and I'm thinking, I'm just listing all the areas of my life, and I'm, I'm being honest, and I had no idea how much of Pharisee thinking was coming within my soul. Am I performing for God to give me things, to give, to, for me to have approval from him, for me to have identity? And I was talking with a mentor of mine, and, he, and I'm asking him all these questions, and I'm like, hey, so what are the answers to the questions? And he says, Isaac, it's a journey, man. I'm like, ah, hey, when you say that. Um, he says, hey, look, Isaac, really, there's only two questions. Um, who is God, and who are you in relation to God? Who is God, and who are you in relation to God? to God, right? Pharisee thinking by, by, by thinking that it's in our obedience to him is where we have good standing, where we have righteousness, where we have approval from God is in our performance. And here's the third is that, so number one is that uh, we don't want to obey. We're defiant. Two is that we come down the wrong side. It's Pharisee thinking we come down the wrong side of the triangle. Um, not from identity to obedience. We go from the Father, demands our obedience, and there's where, there's where we get our identity. And here's a third. 
um, is that it's not actually God where we get our identity. It's an idol. See, and from this idol, that's where we get our identity, and that's where we, then we have no problem obeying. Right? See, from the Pharisees in the text, he writes um, that um, the, the Pharisees, they just wanted power and control. You see this all throughout the Gospels. The Pharisees, every decision that we were making was not actually to honor the Father, God. It was to keep their power and keep their control. And what Jesus was doing whenever he came was disrupting the false power that the Pharisees had over the people and the grip that they had on religion. So Jesus came in to disrupt their power, disrupt their control, which is why eventually they murder him because he was disrupting their power and control and they wanted to put a stop to it right? But for us, maybe it's not power control, or maybe it is you and just your identity is that you're a powerful person. Your identity is that you're always in control, right? And then from there is where like, I'm a strong person. I can never appear weak. So then you obey yourself and you act and you behave in a way that you never appear weak. Or for many of us, this is myself. um, My idol was relationships or not being in a relationship for a lot of my life. And then I found my identity not being in a relationship. So then I obeyed my identity of not being in a relationship. So either I would just wallow in my own self-pity or I would act out sexually, right? This is me obeying my identity of not being in this relationship that I desperately wanted. You guys tracking? So that's the third way, right? Is that we power and approval, approval, maybe it's money for you. Your idol is money and just achievement. And you, your identity is that you're a person that just wants a lot of money. So every decision that you're making is to serve your God of money. Big idea. Kingdom living is a right relationship that no wrong can ever spoil. Right? It's, it's a right relationship that no wrong can ever spoil. There, whenever we're not thinking like a Pharisee, whenever we can think like Jesus and live in the kingdom of him, this is a right relationship that no wrong is ever going to spoil. There's no wrong that's going to spoil our identity just being as a son and as a daughter in him. And there's no wrong that's going to spoil our, our joyful obedience to God because we know that obeying God is truly and being in God's will with what he's made clear. Sometimes we freak out trying to obey God's will when it's unclear. You don't need to worry about that. We need to worry and concern ourselves with obeying God with what he's made clear and knowing that the unclear things, the more that we, um, uh, the more that we are obeying what's clear, the more the things that are unclear will become clear. So we don't need to worry about being so anxious around things that are unclear because God will make them clear in his timing, not our timing. That's really frustrating, but it's true. So kingdom living is a right relationship that no wrong can ever spoil. There's, so for me, there's no performance or a lack of, lack of performance that's going to spoil the right relationship that God has for me. And here's even the best part. We talked about thinking like a Pharisee. For those of us that are in Christ, no amount of Pharisee type thinking will spoil the relationship. So maybe you find yourself like, oh man, I've been performing for God. There's grace. No, no, um, no wrong is going to spoil this right relationship for you. Maybe you're thinking, oh man, I've been, I've been idolatrous. Cool. If you're following Jesus, there's grace. No amount of um, um, wrestling with idolatry is going to spoil the right relationship, right? Or maybe you're thinking, man, I don't know if I've been obedient to God. We're like, cool, 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 cool. Hey, it's not going to spoil. And now is the time. We're out of joy 
in freedom, we can recognize that God is Father, that we have our identity, and that we can obey um, out of joy. So to summarize all that and start asking here, so wrapping up here, to summarize all this, how do we respond? How do we respond to this? Well, let's see how Jesus kind of summarized um, this whole conversation. So if you have your Bibles, and it's in Matthew, Matthew chapter 22, um, where Jesus summarized this, and he says, um, and he, he's talking, so the scribes and the Pharisees, they're trying to trap Jesus, and they're trying to uh, kind, of, kind of like a gotcha moment. So they asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, um, how would you summarize all of the Old Testament? And by that, it's what would you say is the most important part of the Old Testament? So Jesus is using the Old Testament that these people, these scribes and Pharisees held to. And he said this, and he said, hey, here's a summary of all the Old Testament. Here's a summary of how we relate to God is this. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I love this in verse 40 where he says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, right? On these two commandments depend on the law and the, old, and the prophets. He's saying, hey, look, if I can summarize all of the Old Testament, how it relates to God, knowing who God is, knowing how we respond and relate to God, it's this, is that um, it's the two commandments to love God and love your neighbor, love people, right? So when Jesus says that he's here to fulfill the law, the way that he does that is out of love, See, because whenever we start thinking like a Pharisee, we start thinking through rules. And whenever we start thinking through rules, we start thinking through loopholes. And what Jesus wants to do is close all the loopholes because the law was never given to follow the rules in the first place. The law was given to have a relationship with God. So whenever Jesus summarizes it as love, it closes all the loopholes around what we can or can't do as Jesus followers, right? Because love is far more demanding than we realize, when our standard as a Christian for, for right relationship is love, it's far more demanding than we realize because our obedience, when we live a life in the kingdom, a life of love, far exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. And that's what he says. Hey, I want your righteousness to far exceed that of the Pharisees. And these Pharisees were really good at keeping the rules. And Jesus said, hey, you need to play a different game here. And the way that you play a different game is not to start trying to keep the rules, not trying to earn it, not trying to live a life that's so pleasing, that is pleasing to God, thinking that it's in your own effort and your own decision-making and your own ability. But in a way, that following Jesus, when this right relationship is one that we love God. So here's where we are, where our identity is that we love God and we love our neighbor. So as we think through obedience, the primary lens for obedience is what does it mean to love our neighbor? And here's the application question is this, is what does love require of you? What does love require of you? What does love require of you when it comes to your friendships? What does love require of you when it comes to your romantic relationships, to your roommates, to your life group, uh, to your, at your school, in school, with your coworkers? What does love require of you? And we're keeping that question kind of at a high level because here's the next five messages at the table where Jesus is going to give topic by topic and be incredibly practical. Hey, I know the band's getting ready, but you guys can stay here. Um, Jesus is going to get incredibly practical around um, um, different topics around what does love require of us whenever the standard is not following the rules, but the standard is a right relationship with God that overflows into loving God 
and loving people. So here's the next five messages. Next week, anger and conflict. Two weeks from now, sex and relationships. Three weeks from now, commitment. Four weeks from now, dealing with your enemies. Five weeks from now, people that have needs. We're asking this question. What does love require of us when it comes to not just at a theoretical level, but in the day-to-day realities that we experience? What does love require of us? So here we're closing here. In asking what does love require of us, I'm also asking what, what did love require of Jesus? What did love require of Jesus? And here's what it required. Um, theologians use this term. It's called the great exchange. See, and in the great exchange, what happened was, is that we need righteousness. We need um, a right relationship with God, but we don't have it. See, because what we have is sin. So what Jesus did is what love required of Jesus is Jesus came down to fulfill the law in order to exchange our sin for his righteousness, his approval, his right relationship with the father that he already had. So whenever Jesus came to earth, he exchanges um, his, his righteousness that he has with the father with the sin. So the death that we deserve and the punishment that we deserve, Jesus took it. And whenever he took it, he took the death that we deserve. Now we get new life. See the exchange, our sin for his righteousness exchanged. And the song that we're about to sing is called Scandal of Grace. And in the song, it perfectly talks about and perfectly describes the right relationship um, that we have, like only made possible by God's love. I'm going to pray and then we'll sing. Father, we love you. God, we're so undeserving of you. God, you sent your son Jesus down so that we may have his righteousness given to us. That even may be possible, God, for us to have a right relationship with you. God, that it's not in our performance. It's not in our obedience. It's not in our disobedience, God. It's in Jesus. It's in your, it's in your son. God, that we can just rest and have full love and approval by you. God, so you don't see our sin, you see Jesus. And we can participate with you, God. There's grace. Okay, we get to have this amazing, wonderful relationship with you freely. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.